Today's reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 to 22. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There, he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussion daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to evoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 jackmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this has happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Debbie. Um, if you 
haven't picked up a bulletin, please do. There's the Bible passages printed there. If you have a Bible, please get it out. Uh, we are a church that believes in expository preaching, which means that we go through the Bible and we really seek to speak from the Scripture. So I'd love for you to get the Bible out and go through it with me to make sure that this is what God's Word teaches. But let's pray that He will teach us from His Word this morning. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for your word that has gone out and grew in great power. And Lord, we pray that that will happen this morning, that you'll, your, par, your word will reach us, uh, that your word will show its power in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I first arrived um, 11 years ago in Shatin Church, I saw this sign at the front um, because the tagline for Shatin Church for many years was Church on Fire. Church on Fire. We've changed it for many different reasons, um, but what a great tagline. And Book of Acts is about a church that is on fire, a people who are on fire for the Lord. The whole book talks about what God has done in the early church to move and get this movement of Jesus going. Remember back in chapter 2, in the beginning of the book, the day of the Pentecost, the fire, tongues of fire comes and rests on God's people on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people were converted and are baptized on that day. And it doesn't remain just a sort of holy huddle. It becomes a gospel explosion. We saw, if you know, Acts 1 uh, verse 8, how the rest of the book describes how the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How the word goes out in the power of the Spirit, and people cannot stop it. Nothing could stop the gospel, God's word reaching to the ends of the earth. Well, this doesn't mean, though, that the churches didn't have any problems. We saw in chapter 18 last week, if you, uh, Acts chapter 18 was about the church in Corinth. And if you go to the book, the letter to Corinthians, you know how that church was filled with problems. I wouldn't want to be a pastor of that church, church that's divided, people filled with ego, I mean, all sorts of problems. But in Acts, in, in a way, Luke has picked out details that describes the ideals of what the church should be, what we should be shooting for. In chapter 19, what we see is a church on fire, <laughs> a church that is filled with people who know Jesus personally, who know uh, through the power of the Spirit uh, who's, uh, that this message has been confirmed in their life. They know that, that Jesus isn't somebody out there, but who is working in their life today, in their life, in their hearts today. It's one that's filled with people who read and hear and obey and proclaim God's word. It's one uh, that, that, that's filled with people's, people whose lives have been changed because of the coming of the word. But it all starts with people meeting Jesus. So let me start by asking you this question. Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? In chapter 19, verse 1, we see uh, Paul leaving uh, leaving Apollos in Corinth and arriving in Ephesus. When he arrives, he finds there in verse 2, quote-unquote, disciples. Uh, he baptizes them in the name of Jesus, and they receive the Holy Spirit. 
And then some people take this passage to mean that there is sort of a second baptism. There's the baptism of the water, but also then we should also expect the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you see, this passage does not say this at all. Take a look at it carefully. First, think about the two questions that Paul asks these disciples. The first question, they, it's almost as if he goes to the church and these, call, uh, these people call themselves disciples, uh, but then they're not quite right. So he asks the question, what sort of, but did you receive the Holy, uh, did you receive Holy Spirit uh, when you were baptized? And then they go, I, I haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. Who is he? And then the second question that he asks is, well, then what sort of baptism did you receive? And they say they receive the baptism of John the Baptist. You see, the questions themselves assume that when you receive, when you are baptized in the name of Jesus, that you would receive the Spirit, right? That's the only way these questions make sense. And also, it's clear in the context that these people were not yet Jesus' disciples. They're called disciples, but they didn't know anything of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't know of Jesus it seems that they were most likely the disciples of John the Baptist. They went to the Jordan River. They, were, they received the baptism of repentance. They knew that there was something wrong with their lives, that they needed to change, and so they were baptized. They heard about the Messiah that John the Baptist was proclaiming, but they had not yet heard of the Messiah who has come, Jesus who had come to the world. They remind me of like a Japanese soldier, um, Hiro Onoda, you know, he didn't hear of the news that the World War II ended, <laughs> that Japan surrendered. So he was in the jungles of Philippines for 29 years after the war had ended, he fought on his own because he didn't hear the news uh, that, uh, of the end uh, of the war. These disciples didn't yet hear that the Messiah that they had been waiting for had come. And so, Paul tells them about Jesus, and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And what happens? They receive the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what happened on the day of the Pentecost. Remember, this is what Paul says, I mean, Peter says to the Jewish people who had gathered in Jerusalem. He says, look, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. He proclaims that on the day of the Pentecost. And later on, Paul, who is now teaching in church in Ephesus, will write the letter to Ephesians, and he will say in chapter 1, verse 13, when you believed, when you believed, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. When you believed in Jesus, you were marked with the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you believe in Jesus... That means the Spirit has come on you because you cannot believe in Jesus. It's an unbelievable news uh, to believe and trust Him with our life and trust Him as our Lord and Savior. If you believe in this extraordinary news, it means that you have the Spirit in you who has opened your eyes to see the truth of His Word. But what I think this shows is that there are different kinds of seekers in the church. There are two kinds of seekers, at least I could think, think of. There are one kind of seekers who have come to church who are not yet Christian, uh, but they've, they're not that interested in Christianity. 
maybe they've come because of, of their spouse or their friend uh, who has invited them. But, you know, they've come out of respect, and, and they're not that interested um, in Jesus. And if you are one of those people, thank you so much for coming today. I hope you get to hear something of Jesus in your, uh, in your time with us. But then there are other kinds of people who are not yet Christian, but people who have realized that there's something wrong with their life. They've repented, and they've turned away, and they said, this is life I want to leave behind. I am seeking. I want to find uh, the, the right way. But they have not yet met the risen Lord. And I think this is the category that John the disciples, uh, the disciples of John the, uh, John the Baptist uh, uh, were in. And if you're in this ca- category, could I ask you to consider opening your hearts to Jesus and believe and trust him with your life, with your future, with your sins. And that God invite Jesus into your life and, and respond in faith in Jesus. And respond by saying, I want to be baptized. I want to be part of God's people because I see God at work in this community and in this world through Jesus. You see, the norm of Christian life, I think, involves with these four elements. Repentance, faith in Jesus, water baptism, and the, I, I want to say maybe seal of the Spirit. Because gift of the Spirit has this different connotation, but seal of the Spirit. And for some, each of these things come in dramatic fashion. You know, some people repent in dramatic fashion or receive the Spirit in dramatic fashion and, and, and faith in Jesus in dramatic But But for many others, it comes in sort of a mundane or maybe not so extraordinary ways. But all four need, need to be there. And for some, they receive all four in one go. And for some others, it's a process that comes at different times. For me... Uh, the seal of the Spirit. I, I, when we talk about the seal of the Spirit, I think what it means is that, that the time when the Holy Spirit confirms in you that your faith is real, that He is real. It's a moment when your head knowledge of who Jesus is that drops into your heart and you realize, yes, God has died for me. God has sent Jesus for me. For me, it happened when I was, I think, about age 14. I can't remember exact uh, the date, um, but I think it was, I mean, it was definitely my teenage years when my dad was preaching of his uh, sins forgiven. He, he was saying, if your sins are forgiven, you're not just your past sins in Jesus, but your present sins and your future sins. And when I heard this, it's a message that I've heard a thousand times be- before, but when I heard this that moment, the Holy Spirit confirmed in me that this was real, that I was loved beyond my imagination. I couldn't help but cry. I was sitting there all by myself, you know, having this experience. You know, this, uh, uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit, it's something that I think all Christians will have if you stick with Jesus long enough. It wasn't, I don't think it was a, I don't, I don't consider that a conversion experience because I knew Jesus. I knew, I understood forgiveness. I understood grace. I knew the cross. I knew that God loved me. But it was a Holy Spirit's way of saying, this is true. You are loved. And a church that is filled, uh, church on fire is filled with people who know that Jesus isn't some theory a person out there, a, his, a historical figure, 
but a Lord and Savior who's come for me, who has died for me. Full of people who have that experience some point, at some point of the power of the Spirit and the confirmation of our faith through the Spirit. And that uh, experience, of course, comes hand in hand with the preaching and the word going out. Yeah, think about what John did, I mean, what Paul did. When he met these disciples, he spoke, right? He asked them questions, and he told them about Jesus, and he, he baptized them. And when he arrives in Ephesus, what does he do? He goes into the synagogue, verse 8, and he spoke boldly. He spoke bo- boldly for about three months. He, uh, and we're, he didn't just proclaim, he persuades and we're told there that he, uh, he argued persuasively about the kingdom of God in the Jewish synagogues. But when they reject these words, what does he do? Well, he goes on speaking. He moves on. He rents a hall of, of Tyrannus in verse 9, and he teaches daily for two years. For two years, he went in and taught and spoke and discussed God's word. Then the conclusion is in verse 10. The whole region, all the Jews and Greeks, hear the word of the Lord. You know, the chapter headings and the, uh, the chapters and verse divisions uh, happened much later. They didn't have um, uh, chapters and, and verses, the, the, the Bible, uh, the ancient Bibles. But it had these markers that, that showed you that a section was ending And the section actually ends in verse 20. And the summary section, summary sentence in that is, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This whole section, in fact, indeed, the whole book of Acts is about God's word going out, spreading from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth and growing in power. God demonstrating his power through the word. Friends, God's word is powerful. I hope I don't have to remind you of this. God's word is powerful. God, how does God create the world? By speaking his word. How does he proclaim hope to the world? By speaking his word. How does he bring judgment? By speaking through the prophets his word. How will he bring hope um, to the world? Uh, through Through his word. And the word becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. And through the Spirit, He inspired the words of the Bible. And through the Scripture, He still speaks to us today. Words are powerful. And God's words are especially powerful. Which is why I devote at least 15 to 20 hours a week preparing these words. Because I know that this is is the most important job for me as a pastor. Our lives are changed when we hear God's word course of history has changed when people hear God's word. There's a 16th century theologian, uh, the reformer Martin Luther, the famous reformer Martin Luther, who changed the course of church history. This is how he describes what happened. Take me, myself, as an example. I opposed indulgences and all the papists, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. 
while I slept and drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf. The word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. How did God change the, 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 the course of church history, the history of the world? Through his word. Through the word going out. I wonder if you're convinced of the power of his word. Last week in chapter 18, we see another example of somebody like this. Apollos. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 18 and look at verse 24. Apollos is described as a man with thorough knowledge of the scripture. He's from Alexandria, the, 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 the city that boasts the greatest library at the time. He was a learned man. He knew the way. He, was, he had thorough knowledge of the scripture. He taught about Jesus accurately. But when he's preaching, Priscilla and Aquila are there, and they go, ah, it's not quite. Ah, there, there could be a little bit more. So they invite uh, Apollos into their home, and they teach Apollos about Jesus, and they explained him the way of the way of God more adequately. And Apollos sat there listening to these things because he had this hunger to get it right, to understand what the Bible actually speaks and, and, and what the message is. I wonder if we have that sort of hunger. A church on fire is one who hears God's word accurately. So, uh, uh, we, we, we ask questions about the Old Testament. How does it point to Jesus? How is it fulfilled in Jesus? Well, what is the storyline of the Bible? How, how, and what does God's word say um, today? What does it mean to me today? How does it give hope for the future? And we sometimes divide evangelical churches into two categories. One that takes the Bible seriously or focuses on the conservative churches who sort of focuses on the Bible. Another one um, that, that's sort of focused on the works of the Spirit. What chapter 19 and the book of Acts show is that this is a false division. They go together. God's word goes out and he demonstrates the, the power of his word through the works of the spirit. That's what happens in, a, in chapter 18 and through the uh, through, um, book of Acts. And this is what also um, Paul says once again in Ephesians chapter 6, right? What is the sword of the spirit? He says, which is the word of God? Word of God is the, the, the sword of the spirit, so, friends, I hope you'll come and, and hunger to hear God's word more accurately, that you would join a small group. If you want to discuss, this week we're starting, um, this study in, the study will start um, with chapter 19. We're going to discuss these words so that we can understand it better and we can speak God's word to each other's life. Come and join us and come and join us in one of the links groups. And if you don't have time, we'll, I'll, come to me and ask me and I'll assign you somebody. I'll pair you up with somebody one-to-one who can read the Bible one-to-one with you who can help you to read the Bible. If you'd like to just get started and just want some resources, I'll put that up um, in the next week's email. Or your reading um, plans, I'll put that up as well. Uh, come and just, uh, just start reading the Scripture. You will get better over time. Church on fire. 
Well, that's one. A church that's filled with people who understand and who hear and speak of God's word accurately. And when the word is rightly heard and taught and proclaimed, of course, people's lives are changed. God demonstrates the power, His power, by doing extraordinary things. How could it not when God's word brings God's kingdom to this earth? And God confirms that the kingdom has arrived by doing extraordinary things through Paul uh, in this passage. And even in verse 12, this slightly weird passage about even the handkerchiefs and apron that had been touched um, by him were taken and it healed people. Which uh, I'm sure the first question that you ask is, well, is this, is this supposed to happen today? Is this sort of thing supposed to happen today? Well, let me tell you first why this passage is here. Uh, the, you might know that in Acts, the first half of chapters 1 through 13 is dominated by following the Apostle Peter. And 14 through 28, the rest of the book is then dominated by telling the story of Paul. It goes from Peter and Paul because the gospel goes from the Jews to the Gentiles. And Peter is the apostle to the Jews primarily in Acts, and Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's sent primarily to the Gentiles. And throughout the book of Acts, Luke, the writer, the author of this book, takes pains to show that what Peter did is the same thing that Paul did. What God was doing amongst the Jews is the same thing that God is doing amongst the Gentiles. So this is a quick chart that shows this, and in the middle of it is this miraculous healing. Peter's shadow heals people and in chapter 5, and we get this little passage about chapter 19, how his handkerchief and aprons uh, healed people as well. In this slide, the primary reason why Luke tells this story is so that, th that we know that God is doing the same thing amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. That's why the parallel is here, and this is why Luke records this detail. Not so that we expect this sort of thing to happen, but the question you might ask, well, you still haven't answered my question. Are we supposed to expect this sort of thing? The uh, answer, I think, is partly answered by the text itself. Because look at how uh, Luke describes these miracles in verse 11. He calls them extraordinary. <laughs> these are extraordinary miracles. These are not ordinary miracles. This is recorded because it was extraordinary. It didn't happen every day. But when it happened, it was so remarkable that this was recorded. We, I don't think, should expect things like this to happen every day. But should we expect miracles to happen? Of course. Yes. Because God is living and active and He's alive. And he's, He has great powers to do what He wills. He has power to heal people. And as the word goes out, why shouldn't we expect God to heal? Why shouldn't we expect the darkness to recede and, and, and demons to be driven away? Once again, in the letter, his letter to Ephesians, Paul writes that our struggle, our wrestling is not against, um, wrestling is against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. 
miracles, healing, driving away of demons, though not um, uh, every day, should happen as God's kingdom advances. But the next story of the story of Siva, the sons of Siva, tell us that this isn't magic, that there is no formula for it. If you think about what magic is, magic and sorcery is, it's manipulating higher powers through maybe some spell, through some words, or sacrifice, something that you do to control God. And the next story tells us that God cannot be manipulated in this way. Well, what happens in verse 13? These sons of Siva were driving out, driving out evil spirits using the name of Jesus. They were exercising, exorcising demons without being disciples of Jesus. They were using Jesus' name as if it were part of a magical spell that God could be manipulated by just saying the name of Jesus. And we get this funny story of these demons going, I've heard of Jesus. I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul. Who are you? And they get the beating of their lives. You see, you can't manipulate Jesus' name. You can't bless some handkerchief and sell it for 15 bucks as if that will have some power. No, if there is power in that name, it comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from having a relationship with Jesus, understanding who he is and following him as his disciples, disciples and being claimed by Jesus as his own. That's where the power comes from. And of course, when we meet Jesus personally, when we follow Jesus as his disciples, of course, the darkness should recede. Demons should run away from us. But the most obvious sign that the kingdom of God has come is that our lives are changed. And that's how this story ends, doesn't it? Our lives are changed. Ephesus was a city that was dominated by the temple of Artemis. If you know, it's the sixth wonder, ancient wonder, uh, 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 one of the six wonders of the ancient world. It was a city steeped in sorcery and magical practices, occult practices. But when the name of Jesus is being proclaimed and people hear it, what do they do? They confess their sins, verse 18. They confess their sins openly. And they burned their charms and amulets, costing 50,000 drachmas, millions of dollars, because they have come to realize that the gospel is much more precious than all these other things, that all these other things are worthless compared to knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There are those among us here in this church whose lives are changed in this dramatic ways. People who have turned from sexual immorality, turned from greed, turned from uh, selfish ambition, people who have been rescued from despair, moment of considering death. And God is at work here today. Sometimes you come to church and you think, this is like nothing. But God is at work in you, growing you today, in bringing you to himself today, in changing and transforming your lives today, even today. God is transforming us. A church on fire is one 
full of people whose lives are touched by Jesus, who have personal stories of Jesus, that confirmation that he is real. How do we get there? By listening to God's word, by responding to him in faith, and by his, in his goodwill, confirming his word uh, through the power of the Spirit. It is him who is at work in us. So let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, we know that you are God who's greater um, than who, what we can imagine. No, it, you are not one who can be manipulated by some magical spells or something that we do, sacrifices that we make, the words that we say. You are God who is sovereign and supreme and transcendent. But thank you that you are God also who pursues us, who loves us, who does not turn away all those who come to you in faith. And Lord, we pray that as we come in faith to you today, that you would fill us with your spirit. You would confirm once again in us that you are at work, that you would free us from bondage to sin and addiction and all sorts of things that we're dealing with. Lord, help us to come to know you deeper today in coming weeks and months. Lord, we thank you once again that you're not God who is dead, who is mum, but a God who is alive and active. Lord, work in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.